Welcome to Austin New Church Podcast. My name is Stephanie Swan, and I'm the children's pastor here. If this is your first time here, we're so happy that you've decided to join us. We are a progressive faith community dedicated to the pursuit of inclusion and social justice. Whether you're a beloved out-of-towner or just catching up, please enjoy this week's message. Man, all right. It's kind of the perfect storm this week where you got South By converging with spring breaks, converging with spring forward, converging with Trey teaching. It's just like nobody comes to church that week, so it's fine. (laughs) Thank you for being here, okay? Thank you. Um, Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Melinda did a great job on announcements, which is usually what I do, but she did great, better than me, I think, except for she stood over there, which was kind of, Garrett chased her down. It's fine. I'm here to teach this morning. and I'm going to be teaching on something that's probably familiar to a lot of you if you grew up in church. Um, if you come from a tradition like mine, which was Southern Baptist, uh, and I'm in recovery still, so this may be one of those this may be one of those Christian seasons you know nothing about. Okay, uh, it's normally a season of, uh, of fasting and prayer, which coincides uh, with 40 days that Moses spent in fasting and prayer. Um, as he was going to re- retrieve the Ten Commandments, it also coincides with uh, Elijah's 40 days of fasting and prayer to hear a new, new fresh word from God. And it also coincides with de- Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness where he was uh, tested by Satan. So we'll see, we'll, you know, you and I will see our friends uh, abstain from certain things. They might abstain from, from drinking this month or this 40 days, or they might uh, get off Facebook for the 40, 40 days leading up to Easter. Um, and, you know, certain foods that you might abstain. Some people don't eat meat on uh, the Fridays of, of Lent. And that, uh, did you know that McDonald's actually altered, had their first divergent menu item around Lent? So that's in 1965 or 6, I think, uh, they created what, what we now know as the McFish, McFish sandwich. Uh, and this was, this was born out in, uh, I think, Chicago, Cincinnati. In Cincinnati, there was a, a restaurant owner that noticed all of his good Catholic uh, clientele and those that observed Lent were just not in, not in the restaurant, not in McDonald's on those, on those weeks and those Fridays especially during Lent. And so he's like, what can I do? Let's make this fish sandwich. And he took it to corporate and he said, hey, how about we just, as a company-wide, let's do this McFish sandwich. And they go, well, we're actually working on our, our, on our own uh, meatless alternative, which was a hula burger. You ever, anybody ever have a hula burger? No. It was, it was a slice of pineapple. It was a bun, slice of pineapple, slice of cheese. That was it. And so what they did was they took this and they, they test marketed it, yeah, I guess in Cincinnati, and they put it out there and the McFish won 360 to 4. <laughs> they, they couldn't sell a hula burger. So what we know today is the McFish sandwich was, is tested and true. So anyway, like I said, I grew up Baptist, but I also, I also uh, was in Catholic school for uh, sixth to ninth grade. Ninth grade ended abruptly for me at the hands of Sister Martha and the honor court, but that's another story entirely. Um, but I was also then exposed. I was also then exposed to Lent in the Catholic school. So, but all I knew about Lent in the Catholic school was is that on Fridays we had either those fish patties or fish sticks, and it was a good day to bring your own lunch. So, um, that's what I tended to do. 
Um, but here we are in Lent, and what uh, Catherine posed this to us in week one, which is a great question. Who do we want to be by Easter? Who do we want to be by Easter? I, I'll be honest with you. I hadn't thought about it a whole lot until this week, and so maybe you're like me. Um, but I've been f- reflecting on it a bit. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm good. Maybe I'll just be the same. You know, maybe by Easter I just want to be the same. Um, me and God aren't that bad, and I talk to him or her uh, from time to time. And, uh, you know, all the time, typically, when I need something, uh, aren't, aren't you all the same? I, I used to talk to God all the time when I was kind of living outside of what I felt like I could handle, you know. Uh, when you're kind of living on the, on the fringes and, when, and you just know that if God doesn't show up, you're going to fall flat on your face, right? Those are times that we typically up our, our prayer life. Um, I, th- I recall three major times in my life uh, that, that I could really pinpoint where, man, I was in prayer. One of them was launching Austin New Church when we, we planted this church as a new community. I'll admit, though, that in my previous church, I'll, I, honestly, I prayed more. I did. I prayed more. I, I thought God was continually mad at me, all right? And this is, I, I guess this was, was a teaching of the church that I was constantly doing wrong, that I was displeasing to him in some way or her. Well, in that church, it was totally he, him. God was, that church was totally uh, he, him. But, uh, but why, why would I always think that I was on God's bad side? I think that's how in that church that I, w- I was trained to think. You know, our fallen nature, we were created uh, in sin, or Adam sinned, and we were all under the headship of Adam. Do these, these sound familiar at all? Um, sure, God was beautiful and loving, but, but he saw everything I did, every thought I had, every drink I snuck, because, you know, we were Baptist, every dollar that I made, and did I give 10% of every dollar that I made, you know, because tithing, and I, most of the time I did, God don't smite me, um, but this is no lie. Even back in the 90s, as, as computer, you know, this, okay, some of you guys don't even understand this, but we used to not have computers. In the, in the 90s, though, in the 90s, though, we got computers and we had this thing called bill pay, and it was perfect. It was great. And I used that, Jenny and I used that for our, our ties to the church. And, and back in the 90s, uh, I was a home builder and Jenny was a realtor, and we made gobs of money, okay? I'm not going to lie about that. Uh, so our... The, the tithing thing was big. And when I introduced this concept to Jenny, she's like, really? Do we got to give so much? And I'm like, well, you know, it's kinda, the, this is what's taught and this is what we do. And, and she's like, oh, well, okay. And so we entered it into bill pay. I entered it into bill pay because she wouldn't. Um, <laughs> and then, um, you know, it just started coming out month after month after month. And, and this became a, a thing for us that we didn't even rely on it. It wasn't even ours. Uh, there, was this, there was this notion of, of giving God your first fruits. I mean, that's biblical. And so this is something that we did. We gave God our first fruits. It wasn't ours. And we, you know, we gave to the church. And um, at, at some point, one, I can't remember what year it was. I probably should. But at some point in January, I didn't receive my giving statement from the church. And I called the financial secretary. They had, they had secretaries for everything. We don't, by the way. But I called the financial secretary and I said, hey, I didn't get my giving statement for the previous year. And she goes, she left the phone, then she came back, she goes, and this is when we called people and didn't text them. Um, probably had a cord on the phone and everything. Um, she says, let me, let me get back to you. And about 15 minutes later, I got a call from the financial pastor 
there's a pastor over finances. Um, and he says, Trey, um, we don't have any giving for you in the last year at all. And I was like, I was, I was, I was flabbergasted. I was gobsmacked. I was mad. I was shocked. I was embarrassed. All the things. And I, and I went into my online banking and I found out that in fact, at some point, maybe the year prior, I'd put an end date on my, on my direct pay. And so I'm like, oh God, what do I do? God, he's going to be really mad at this. And, um, well, he, you know, he's going to kill me because I robbed him. And he, he's so mad. Why didn't anyone call me? And whose job was this? And what was I supposed to do now? Because I couldn't give it all. It was gone. Um, because, like I said, Jenny and I lived off what we had. And so it, we ha- if we had it, we spent it. It, wasn't, it was the first fruits, and it was gone. Anyway, I spent God's fruits. <laughs> How could we not notice this? Well, the good news is we're still here, and God didn't smite me. So... What's weird is in my heart, I honestly, in my heart, I gave the money, okay? Um, I honestly thought I had. Now, you can argue it's not the same as giving, um, <laughs> but, well, I argue because I got no tax benefit for just being in my heart. But, but I mean, God's not going to be mad at an oversight, is he? I mean, I, I don't know. I think the church was doing fine. Um, nobody, nobody lost their job at the church, you know. Uh, nobody called me on it again, so, um, but I really prayed hard about this, and I asked a couple of friends of mine who were pastors, and I said, what do you guys think I should do? And the, kind of the consensus was, well, maybe you got, maybe you should, do you have, like, do you have the money? And I'm like, no, it's gone. I spent it all. And he go, well, maybe take what you have and pay that kind of in restitution. Um, I think that's what they insinuated. You don't need, you know, but, you know, honestly, you don't need to pay God to pay it off. I don't, I don't think. And just in your own mind, you need to let it go. So do what you can. Rest, rest in your own heart and let it go. So that's kind of what I did. And until uh, um, now, there's only been a few people that know that story. Like the two pastors I talked to, Jenny, and I don't think it, now you all know that story. Um, but I was so embarrassed by it. If anyone knew they would judge me, I felt like uh, they would think I couldn't afford to give and I would be looked down on because I didn't give or, and those things mattered to me, you know, they did. But you know, the more I thought about it, you know, who really doesn't care about it was God. Um, I, I, again, like I said, the church was fine. Nobody lost their job, but the shame, the embarrassment and the guilt, where did that come from? Where did that come from? That wasn't God. So that's a Jason-sized intro to my sto- sermon this morning. <laughs> and the, st- the sermon this morning is a story, if you grew up in the church, you'll, you'll recognize, you'll know the story. Uh, but let's look at it together, and we're going to read it uh, from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. It'll be on the screens. This is the Jesus and the woman of Samaria, a.k.a. the woman at the well. All right? Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, Jason calls him the Methodist baptizer. Although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus was tired from his journey, and he sat by the well. It was about noon. 
A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was, and who it is that saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that, that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, and who gave us this well, and with his sons and, and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but those who um, drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty the water that I will give, give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The one, woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty again or have to keep coming to this water to, to draw water here. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one here you have now is not your husband. What you, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here that true, worshiper, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship, worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. So, thank you for the word. Uh, today I have my lovely assistant Jason, who will be going uh, with our mic and we want to hear from you, okay? These are where we have a couple of insights into what the story says. All right? Jen, are you ready? You don't even know the question. I think that's cheating. All right. Well, we're let's here hear for the it. comment. So it's admin, not secretary. I'm sorry? It's admin, not secretary. In the 90s, it was secretary. <laughs> okay. Um, tell us, okay, so the question I want to know is, if you grew, this is for those of you that grew up in the church, okay? I'm going to exclude the rest of you for a minute, but um, what has been your thoughts about the woman at the well? If you grew up in church, what are your thoughts on the woman at the well? What were you taught about her? Um, I feel like it was always emphasized that she was, like, unclean and, like, really, like, despicable, I guess. Like, they always, like, highlighted that part. Right. That it was, like, way out of character for anyone but Jesus to go talk to her. Right. She was unclean, despicable. Can you turn her a bit up in the mains? Because I, I, I heard you, but I might not hear the next one. Thank you. That was good. That's what I was taught, too. She came in the middle of the day because, you know, nobody else would be there. She would not, yeah, unclean and despicable. Okay, anybody else? What else were you taught? Right here, Sam? She was promiscuous. Promiscuous. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that summary. What else? Anybody? Okay. What was Jesus' posture toward this woman? 
Now she's got a question or an answer. Well, the church, the church taught that she was, that it was a corrective conversation. Okay. Which, it was corrective? Corrective, yes. He was calling her out? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Jesus' posture toward this woman? Okay. Moving along. Oh, one more. Lama, go ahead. This is Pastor Lama, everybody. I mean, yeah, the things that people are saying is, I, I honestly kind of, even right now, I'm going like, yeah, I never, I mean, it's, it's inequality, it's injustice, it's, it's systematic, like, we're not taught about the trauma that she most likely has been through. All these things, it's like, I just learned, uh, if you mess up and you do bad things, Jesus will have grace for you, <laughs> you know, but it's so much bigger and deeper, and, and instead of the system and the, the culture being the problem, it was the woman that was the problem. Yeah, yeah, the woman. It's the woman's fault. Yeah. Um, I'm going to save this last question to later, later Jason. I'm just going to move along. Um, so there's seemingly, I'm going to go back for a second, there's seemingly this rift between the Jews and the Samaritans, obviously in Jesus' day, yet time and again, uh, they pop, Samaritans do, pop into the stories of the Bible. We know about this woman, right? We also know about the good Samaritan, right? And we'll also, if you read forward, I can't remember what book it's in, but Philip, one of the disciples, went to Samaria and proclaimed Jesus to the Samaritans and healed a lot of folks. But way back in before Jesus, and we're going to find, here's, what, here's the riff where it started. Way back before Jesus, Assyrians were conquering, diff, conquering different regions. In around 600 or 700 B.C., they came in and they conquered and or enslaved a lot of the Samaritan people. They took them out of their land, leaving a small remnant of people who were the Samaritans, uh, and then backfilled it with their own Assyrian people. Well, the Samaritans then started intermarrying with the Assyrians, and uh, they created their own worship space, their own temple, uh, different ways of worship, different styles. Uh, and this just angered the Jews uh, like crazy. Um, as the Jews started to resettle in Jerusalem, years, hundreds of years later, uh, and started to rebuild the temp- temple, uh, the, uh, the, the Samaritans then wanted to go help their old, you know, their old brothers, and the, and the Jews ran them off because they were uh, considered unclean. They were half-breeds, and they, they called them dogs. Uh, so this is kind of the rift that, that started between Samaritans and Jews. Customarily, when Jews traveled, uh, they didn't even pass through the regions of Samaria. So that's why this was a big deal when we read in the story that Jesus went into Samaria and stopped in this town and met, met the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, though it certainly uh, was, a, was a lot longer for, for those that didn't travel through Samaria, if you look at the map, I, I t- sent G- Jason earlier in the week, I sent him a picture of the map, and I'm like, look at this. I mean, it's so much longer. It's actually, they said it was a week longer to take this trip through the Jordan River and through this other land and back across the Jordan to not pass through Samaria. So um, I, I just, I found it odd. I, not odd, but I, I found it maybe, I, it le- it had questions like, okay, so why didn't Jesus could do the normal Jewish route. Well, the points that I came back with was it was shorter, it was easier, he could travel it in about a week's less time, and probably most importantly, he didn't hate Samaritans, you know? Um, so here we find Jesus at this place uh, where, where Jews avoided with a woman in broad daylight, and she was a Samaritan, and she had this checkered past, and, and that's the way the story was that I've always heard. Um, and it always, like you said, uh, a couple of you did, um, it just keyed in on the woman's faults. Preachers that, that harp on this would, would be on the fact that, that you know, she had five husbands. Uh, the man that she was living with was, 
wasn't currently her husband. But let's look back at the story with me in just this brief portion of this passage and tell me what you hear now. Jesus said to her, go to your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Where's the shame? There's no shame. Where's the judgment? I don't get that from Jesus at all. I think what, what I'm seeing in this, or what I saw in this passage this week for the first time, was that Jesus sees and he doesn't shame. And the woman, she doesn't feel shame by Jesus. Instead, her first, she first recognized Jesus as a prophet. She may feel a certain affinity toward him in this moment. That, that is not the reaction of someone that feels shamed to say, you're a prophet. She was validated. She was seen. She was heard, recognized, honored. He saw her truth. How was she honored? I think he honored her by engaging her in conversation, taking seriously um, what she had to say and then spending time with her. She mattered to Jesus, not only her, but her story and everyone who comes in contact with her. That's good news. If anything, he removed the stigma that may be attached to her situation. The lot in life she had, we don't know what it was. I mean, how did her husbands die? You know, did they die? Did they leave her? Maybe the man she's living with, you know, you'd be, you'd be totally exposed and, and vulnerable as a woman in this time in, in her region alone. Maybe this man that she was living with, she was betrothed to. Maybe they were planning to be married. We don't know the story. But we always assume, and those that have taught this have always assumed the worst about this woman. That it has to be the woman's fault. So, if, if Jesus then didn't ask her to bring her husband, okay, so, so let's, just, let's just assume he didn't ask her to embarrass her, but he asked her to do something. What was it? I think that Jesus maybe revealed her truth to her to say more about himself than her. She knew the parts of her story that the writer didn't. She knew why she had five husbands. She knew why she was at the well in the middle of the day. We don't. She knew who she was, and so did Jesus. And he, he sat with her, validated her, engaged her, and loved her. And this was just the beginning. Her validation of Jesus as a really good man and a prophet, as she first surmised, she would later say, you're the Messiah, and then go tell her friends. See, the woman stands in contrast to Nicodemus, who Jason had taught about last week. Um, she was a woman. Nick was a man. And this time that meant more. She was a Samaritan. He was Jewish. She had a, a checkered or questionable path, according to some. Nick was a moral leader in his community. She, went, she was uneducated. He was high, highly educated and a teacher. Yet, he came at night under the cover of darkness. And she came at midday for everyone to see. And the list goes on. But suffice it to say, Nicodemus was an insider. And she was the proverbial outsider. And yet she plays an important role in the gospel narrative, as does Nicodemus, for different reasons. One thing I noticed in, in, is Jesus' tenderness he has toward the woman. Also notice that she was known by her gender and where Jesus found her. She was not named. Um, I'm sure Jesus knew her name. Maybe if John would have consulted Jesus, he was already, he was already gone by then. But if, if, G, if John had been paying attention, I bet Jesus knew her name. Um, but John, the writer of the gospel, either didn't know or remember or think her name was important. So he just said the woman at the well. 
But Jesus was tender in ways that he allowed this newcomer to faith to ask questions and, uh, while he stayed engaged with her in conversation. Jesus explaining his metaphors to her and revealing who he was to her. Whereas with Nicodemus, Jesus became impatient. Yet the kindness toward this woman is obvious. Jesus isn't concerned about what's going on in her home, in her bed, or in her pants. He wasn't shaming her for living with a man who was not her husband. Jesus didn't berate her on what she may or may not have been, you know, these five men or whatever. And he wasn't, he wasn't really concerned that, that she wasn't a man. She was a woman. See, Jesus was more concerned with what's going on in her heart. Jesus takes aim at what really matters to her and her world. And Jesus reveals himself through the compassion engagement and not shaming or mocking for what she wasn't, but for her wisdom and recognition of who she was. Back to the passage, the woman to Jesus says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place where people are to worship is in Jerusalem. She knew the difference between Jews and Samaritans, even where they chose to believe the Spirit of God resides. Samaritans believe God to be on this mountain where Jesus found her. And the Jews believe God to reside in their temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus quickly dismisses both ideas. He tells her, you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Then he levels the playing field for the Jews and Samaritans both when he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And again, Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. God is spirit. God is truth. And his desire is to be worshipped as such. And is no longer found exclusively anywhere. Because God is everywhere and in everything and in everyone who seeks to worship him. There's not one, there's not, there is a, no us and them. There is no others. There is no male or female. Paul says this. There's no educated or uneducated. There's no longer those named and those not named. There's no favored nationality or preferred pigmentation or orientation. There is no thing that separates us from the love of God. The woman at the well is a model for anyone who finds themselves just on the outside, who may have some sort of past that puts them just outside the temple gates. She's a bright light for new believers, for outcasts, for the nameless, for those of us who didn't spend a dime on sem seminary. Can I get an amen? Um, and those who aren't quite religious enough because Jesus met her, shared good news with her, listened to her story, nurtured the relationship, then sent her as an apostle to the people in her town to share her story and testify of himself. That's good news. She echoed the words of Jesus when he first called his disciples. You remember those? When he said, come and see. She said, come and see and hear this man who told me everything I've ever done. And they came and many of them believed not only what the woman had said, but they got to hear from Jesus because of her. That's good news. So who do I want to be by Easter? I can't think of very many people I'd want to be besides the woman at the well. I want to, be a, I want to have a better understanding of who God is and how he sees me. Because I believe that better informs me of who we are 
and what we should be doing and how we should be loving. I want to celebrate who I am and how God created me and not be driven by shame or guilt, but driven by the love of God for those in our community. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to, um, I want to thank you for this woman. I want to thank you for this story. And, 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 and now, more than ever, God, I just want to clear a picture of your graciousness and your compassion and your justice and your mercy and your unending love for all of us and of your creation. For each and every one of us, without reservation, thank you for the story of the Samaritan woman and the example she sets to us in this season of Lent. I pray that we're able to go into our workplaces and our schools and in our communities and just, ha- just shout, come and see. Come and see, for he is so, so good. Father, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Austin New Church Podcast. To stay connected, follow us on our Facebook and Instagram pages and head over to austinnewchurch.com where you can get added to our mailing list. Our services are also live streamed on Facebook and YouTube on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. if you'd like to receive the full experience. We're so grateful for who you are and who you're becoming. Grace and peace be with you wherever you are.